Well, hallelujah. We're going to be over in the book of Genesis here today. Genesis, the 37th chapter. And if you're up on Facebook and saw the link we put up there, there is an enemy to faithfulness that continually tries to work its way into our lives. Its purpose is to turn us from God's purpose to one of our own. Many allow it in their lives and they begin to follow its leading, thinking they're following the Spirit of God on the inside of them. And the enemy is so deceptive that he will tear tear us from the purpose that God has for us into another direction and we don't even realize we made the change. We're going to look at this story and one before it and we're going to see something that was interesting that goats had to die when this happened. So I entitled this this uh, sermon No Goats Should Have to Die. <laughs> now that comes from how many know Brother Fred Price? <clears throat> Brother Fred Price I believe it was him it was, I, I think it was one or two people but I'm pretty sure it was it was him when they were building their uh, the church out in Crenshaw the Crenshaw Center uh, he made an announcement when they finished it, he said no chickens had to die <laughs> because a lot of times churches did chicken dinners to pay for the help pay for the building. He said, no chickens had to die to pay for this building. So no sheep should have to die. I'm sorry, no goat should have to die. So we're going to take a look at this story. And we have looked at this story in the past, but we're going to look at it from a little different perspective here this time. If you were with us, which is now three weeks ago, last time we were on this, this topic of faithfulness, we were looking at the story of when Jesus came to the home of the Pharisees the place where he told the story of the great feast and the invitations that were sent out. And when the Pharisee entertained Jesus in his home and had him come into his home, you would think that wouldn't they be thankful that Jesus came to their home for dinner? Wouldn't they be grateful for such a, an opportunity to learn from the Master? Can you imagine if the Master, Jesus came and said, I'm coming to your house for dinner, like he did a few weeks before that in Zacchaeus, but he said, I'm coming to your house for dinner, and he sat in your midst, and you had him as, as, as an audience. You could ask him questions. You could listen to his wisdom. Can you imagine having Jesus come to dinner? And these folks did so. And instead of being grateful that Jesus was here for dinner, they criticized Jesus because they were exalted in their own mind. In this chapter, Jesus talked about how we should not exalt ourselves and sometimes we have come away with the feeling that I should never be exalted. The devil constantly takes true principles from the Word of God and corrupts them so that we accept something that sounds similar. But the deception will lead us to a place that God never told us to go. We've shown you this in the area of forgiveness. How many times have we we've gone over this to you? People try and tell you, you must forgive and forget. How many have heard that? And if you don't forgive and forget, you're not forgiven as God forgave. That is false. God never forgives and forgets. Never once. Not at all. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God forgives and forgets. What he says is, I will forgive this and not remember it against you anymore. And if you want proof of that, just go back to the Old Testament. How many times did Israel sin and come and ask for forgiveness? And what does God say when they go back to their idols? He goes back to all the sins they did before. You did it here. You did it here. You did it here. You did it here. He didn't forget it. He just didn't hold it against them when they were repentant. Thank God I don't have to depend on God forgetting my sin because he says it doesn't matter if I remember it or if Satan reminds me of it. I will not remember it against you. That's the truth. That's the example we are to follow in forgiveness. 
But if you follow this false example, then the devil gets you under bondage because every time that you begin to think, I keep remembering what that person did, the devil says you haven't forgiven them. And I think I'm in unforgiveness. You are not in unforgiveness. You are in unforgiveness if you remember it against them. You can simply say, yeah, they did that to me. Glory to God, I forgave them for it. (laughs) And just laugh and go off. And you know what? You're walking in the exact forgiveness that God did. No. God has never said you cannot be exalted. In fact, he even tells you in this thing, he says, don't be afraid of being exalted. Just don't exalt yourself. Don't go sit in the seats of the, of the, of the, the exalted seats. Sit in the lower seats. Then let somebody come over and lift you. Oh, brother, come on. You need to come up over here. Let them exalt you. God says, you let me exalt you and you let other people exalt you. Don't exalt yourself. See, that's the teaching from God. But then people try and work it in. You should not be exalted. And when somebody comes up to you and he says, brother, what you shared ministered to me so greatly, we say, oh, all the praise to God. Don't exalt me. I am, just, I am not. That is not what is supposed to happen. It didn't happen for the disciples. It didn't happen for Jesus. When they said something that ministered, they received it. They said, thank you. Don't allow the word to be corrupted. The devil is very good at this, uh, uh, this uh, idea of corruption. He does not take it and twist it into something completely unrecognizable. He takes it and looks, makes it look like this is a higher level. And he gets you to try and strive for a higher level, which is not a higher level. It's not a level that God said to do at all. People are, are going out there and they're forgiving people. And when they never ask, how many of you ever felt like you had to forgive somebody even though they never asked you to? You are not following God's pattern. What is God's pattern? You all know it. You could quote it. First John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means if we come in an attitude of confession to him, then not only will he forgive what we confessed, but then he will also forgive the things we may have forgotten or didn't know about. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness because we came to him with an attitude of confession. If someone comes to you with an attitude of confession, you forgive them from everything because they came to you with an attitude of confession. That's God's pattern. If they never come to you, and I learned this the hard way. I forgave somebody something that they did. It was very, very wrong. And I forgave them for it and they never asked me. And I restored them in my life and they were able to do a lot more harm. A lot more harm. Don't do it. It's not God's pattern. Follow the pattern of God. It's in the Word for a reason. He shows you how He did it. He shows you what to do, tells you what to do. But here, in this example, they were exalted in their minds and they criticized Jesus. I put this in your notes from a couple weeks ago, not in today's. But we accept or fix what we love and appreciate. Remember talking about cars and, and, and things that we have in our, our, our possession that we really enjoy, we really like them. If we really love them, we accept it as they are, or we try and fix them. The rest we criticize and denounce. But here we're going to go on to to this part here in Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob and Joseph. Being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpha. 
his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now most people have read this per- this passage here. And how many think that Joseph is a tattletale? That Joseph reports on his brothers and tells them all the things that they did wrong. You see, the problem that comes in here is we don't know the division of his family. And we don't understand. We read over, I just read something to you and you probably didn't hear it. Joseph never tattled on his brothers. What he did was he gave a report of some of his brothers. Did you see the differentiation there? You see, when his father married, you all remember the story, <clears throat> he promised to work for seven years for Rebecca. For Rebecca. And uh, his father-in-law, being a deceit, deceitful person, slipped Leah in on there. And so he, uh, he worked seven years for, for Leah and seven years for Rachel. But he got Leah first because they said we have to marry off the oldest girl first. So Leah was the first wife. Rachel, the one he loved, was the second wife. And Leah was the one who bore children. And she bore a number of children and Rachel bore none. And so after a while, Rachel saw that Leah was bearing children and this is a good thing to do. So she gave him her, her, uh, her, her servant as a concubine. And so a couple of children were born there. And so when Leah saw that, she says, well, I'm going to get in on this because she wasn't bearing any more kids. So she gave her concubine. Now he's got two wives and two concubines and children by three of them. Rachel still didn't have any. Then Leah started having babies again, or at least sons. And so she had two more, and then Rachel began to bear. And so what you have is four groups of kids. One group that is the sons of Leah, one group that is the sons of Rachel, and Rachel is the wife that he loves, so those are the two that he set aside as the ones that he loved the most. And he very distinctly showed his favoritism to them. But then you also have the children of the, of the two concubines. And they were looked at as less than full children by the father and the brothers. So if you go back to this, to this verse, <clears throat> this is the history of Jacob, verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha. Zilpha. That is the sons of the concubines. He is not with the sons of Leah. And the ones he gave a bad report on are these ones. Now, it does not mean he came back in and he told all the things that were that these guys did that was wrong. He gave a bad report of what was going on, which means these guys were probably not the most diligent shepherds. And they were not doing things that helped the sheep. And so Joseph, trying to do further along the business, is, uh, is, is giving the report of all the things that happened. We've got to stop doing this. This kind of a practice can't go on. We're not going to have enough sheep. We're not going to have enough goats. We're not going to have uh, enough food. And he's, he's looking out overall for the long, long range. He's not saying, you know, this guy over here, he's, uh, he's doing this or he's saying this. He's not doing those kind of things. What he's doing is he's looking at this whole thing from a business standpoint. And these are the good things. These are the bad. Have you ever had a supervisor at work give a bad report of some things that were going on? He wasn't telling on you, just saying these things are not going right. And someone you might agree with, yeah, we need to change that. That's what the bad report is. 
Now, you see, just that little bit of a thought comes in. How many of y'all know that that this whole thing takes place, this whole chapter takes place because Joseph is sent back out to check on his brothers. And immediately people begin to think he's going out to tattle on them and immediately begin to think when they see him, they're thinking he's coming to tattle on us. But you see, if you understand the book of Genesis and if you read the entire book and whenever you read a book, always keep the prior chapters in mind. It's important. If you kept the prior chapters in mind, you would understand that Joseph was not sent to his son, to to, to the brothers, to see how they were faring about whether they were getting things done or or to come back and tell them. That was not why they were sent. And we'll show you that as we get on to it. All right, let's uh, let's go on here. So Joseph loved. So Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, verse 3, because he was son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. The problem between Joseph and the brothers is the love of the father. That's the problem. It's not the reports that Joseph has. It's not even the authority that he has. Though they despise the authority because they feel like it came out of the love that he has for him. They didn't like that part of it. They wanted more of the love of the father. Because understand, some of these sons are sons of Leah. They're full sons as far as they're concerned. As far as Jacob is concerned, all he wanted for a wife was Rachel. That's all he wanted. But he got more. So Joseph and... Uh, y'all, y'all remember how many sons does, does, uh, does he have? He has 12. And we're going to show you this. I put this in your outline for you so you could see the ball. But Joseph is number 11. Benjamin is number 12. Rachel doesn't have children until everything else shuts down. And then she has these, at least these two. She may have had some daughters that weren't mentioned. We don't know about, about that. Daughters are not always, always uh, mentioned in the Word of God. But what we're looking at here is the root of the problem is working out jealousy and its close counterpart envy. Jealousy and envy is what is the problem here. It's not bad reports and it's not other things like that. Now, I meant to, to copy all these things over into, into my outline and be able to read these for you. And in the bunch of stuff getting things done, I didn't do that. So I've got this up over here. And uh, how many are the difference between jealousy and envy? I would tell you this. Most people don't. In fact, most people use them interchangeably. So I pulled up from uh, Merriam-Webster's website and pulled up some some things about it. Um, and he wrote down some some notes for some modern usage. One person, this is from the careful writer, one might al- almost say that these two words are used as if they were interchangeable. The words are scarcely synonymous, however. Envy means discontented longing for someone else's advantages. Jealousy means unpleasant suspicion or apprehension of rivalship. Now, how many have ever heard in the Word of God that God is a jealous God? If jealous is negative, should God ever feel jealousy? This one comes out of Harper's Dictionary of Contemporary Usage. There are three different ways in which jealous, which jealous can be used. The most common is where the meaning is fearful of losing attention. 
Does God ever get concerned that he's losing your attention? Sure does. He doesn't like to share that attention. That was one of the problems he had with Israel in the Old Testament that he talked about. Another broad sense is possessive <clears throat> or protective. Possessive or protective. Is God ever possessive or protective of you? Yeah. The third use is in the sense of envious as of another person because of his or her belongings, abilities, or achievements. Now that's something God does not do. Envious as of another person because of his or her belongings, abilities, or achievements. One more. Jealousy is properly restricted to contexts involving emotional rivalry. Envy is used more broadly of resentful contemplation of a more fortunate person. Now, if you're interested in any of those, it's written down. Brother Keith was kind enough to go over next door. I gave him the, the info and he printed it all out for me. So we have it up here printed. If any of that is interesting, I'm going to leave it right on up here and you can come up and take a look at that or do your own research. It just came from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. If you do a thing, jealousy and envy, you'll get a, a, a list of a bunch of different uh, words that they compare. <clears throat> Let's get on back here to the passage. Now, I wrote down here the brothers, and if you notice in your outline there, I gave you a bold on some of the brothers. Those ones that are bolded, those are the ones that are of the wives. So you had Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. These are the first four being born to, 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 um, to Leah. Each of these is, is uh, uh, discounted from the rightful place of rulership of the family because of things that they had done things that they did to, to do that. Reuben did something on his own. Simeon and Levi did something together. Judah did something on his own. But each of them did something to disqualify. We're not going to get in all those stories about that now. So the first four of Leah's sons are discontinued from, the, from, from that. But, but Judah, the, the, rule, the rulership does eventually come to the house of Judah. Not initially, but eventually it does. Dan was born to uh, Bilhah. That's Rachel's handmaid. And then Nephtali was next. Gad was number seven. He was a child of Jacob and, and Zilpha. That was the handmaid of Leah. Asher was next as the second son of, of Zilpha. Issachar was another son granted to Leah. And Zebulun was the next child. That was Leah's sixth. Dinah was Jacob's only daughter that is mentioned in the Bible. But there's another place that talks about daughters, plural. But Dinah, there was an incident involving her, so they told where she was in the birth uh, pattern and who she was born to. Now, Dinah had an incident whereof someone raped her and her two full brothers, Simeon and Levi, are the ones who rose up and pretty much wiped out the city and looted it because of what was going on. Uh, Joseph was Jacob's 12th child recorded in the Bible. That's not necessarily the 12th child overall. And Rachel's first. And then Benjamin was the last child. And, and Rachel, of course, died during the, the childbirth there. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream and he told to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf also arose and stood upright. And indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words, but they already hated him. <clears throat> then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun and moon and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his fathers and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? 
And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So, again, there we were binding sheaves in the field. My sheep arose, stood upright. Indeed, your sheaves all around bowed down to my sheep. Notice there is not a number put there. But in the latter one, we're told that all 11 are there. Now, I don't know if I shared this with you sometime before, but I know when the worship team together, some of the things we do, I was sharing this with them. But the question is often said, why does Joseph bring this up? And we looked at Joseph and kind of point fingers at him. He should never have talked about this to his brothers. It was just setting himself up. But I've I got a different viewpoint on, on Joseph as I meditate on this story more. I love meditating on this story. Joseph is my second favorite character in the Old Testament. Y'all know who my first one is. If not, you haven't been around here very long. <laughs> Daniel is my absolute favorite character from the Old Testament. I just uh, I love everything about that man's life and his desire for revelation and his integrity before the Word of God. But Joseph comes right in there. And he um, has a desire to know what this dream means. And if you are Joseph and you are a land of unsaved people who worship idols, and the only people that you have that worship God are your parents and your brothers, who would you share this dream with? He has no one else to share it with. But he realizes that this dream has more meaning than he's getting from it. And so he tells it to his brothers and immediately, you've been here for, for a while, we've, we've talked to you about these dreams. Most people's understanding of these dreams is, is, is so far incorrect. They just don't put any time to it. When he tells this to the dream, how long do they spend meditating on this until they come up with an interpretation? They don't spend any time on it at all, do they? They come right out with an interpretation. So we've got these guys that are filled with jealousy, envy, anger, hatred. Coming up with a spiritual meaning? Instantly? Are you kidding me? More than likely, whatever it is that they come up with is wrong. And yet, how many people have taught the story of Joseph that it's a dream of leadership? It's a dream of rulership. It is not a dream of rulership and it's not a dream of leadership. It's not a dream that is predicting his, his future. That is not what this dream is about. The enti- this whole section of Genesis is all about the dream. It's all about the dream. That's why Joseph is given so much time. Because what you have right now is you have a family that is divided into four sections. The sons of Leah, the sons of Rachel, the sons of Bilhah. And the, 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 all these, these are the ones. And they're each, they have their own unique. No, no, we're of this mom. We're of this mom. You're only... You're only partially sons. We're of the full wives. Yeah, but I'm of the wife that he loved. Well, I'm of the first wife. And so you got all this dissension in there. So even though you have 12 sons, there's no unity among the sons. And they each go out and they do their own thing, what they want to do. Simon and Levi never, or Simeon and Levi never find out what the father wants to do with, with Dinah. Don't even talk to your other brothers. They go out and they come up with their own plan and they execute it. Reuben does what he wants to do for himself. These guys are all in it for themselves. And what does God need out of the 12 tribes of Israel? He needs to make a nation out of them. They need to come together. And they're far apart. So this dream is about how to get the family together. How to bring the family back. And that's what the whole story is about. How to bring these individuals who are separated into these small factions and groups 
how to bring them together. We leave off at 11. So his, his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now in the first dream, we're just told that the sons came and bowed down. In the second dream, we're told that the 11 came and bowed down, and the father and the mother came and bowed down. Now as Joseph's life progresses, we find out that he is taught that dreams can be understood through a plurality of dreams that one dream leads to the interpretation of the other dream. We first see this. He probably had this other, other times, but we first see this when he's in prison and the baker and the cupbearer are there and one has a dream and then the other has a dream. Two dreams, very similar, but they help shed light on each other. And then Pharaoh has a dream. One dream and then another dream. And the second dream shed light on the first dream. Now, he, he has this down because he also received two dreams. And the first dream was enlightened by the second dream. It's not a dream about leadership. It's not a dream about rulership. It's a dream about what Joseph is to do. And so what you have here in the first dream is that the sons come and bow down. And what you have in the second dream is that the sons, all 11, come and bow down and the mom and the dad. Now, how many know the story of Joseph? How many, how many do not know the story of Joseph? All right, I'm going to try and run you through a little bit of it just to help you out with this. But keep on reading the other chapters. I love teaching Joseph. But um, we, I had to try to keep it on the, on the focus of where we're, where we're going here. But this is what happens when Joseph goes in and he's sold into slavery and Potiphar buys him. And so he moves up into the ranks of Potiphar's house till he is... He is the person in charge. The only one who outranks him is his wife. That's it. And then his wife makes a false accusation and he gets thrown into prison. And he starts at the bottom of the prison. He works his way all the way up to the top of the prison. He's ruling, running the prison, basically. And, um, and then the dreams happen. And you can see all in Joseph. He's try, trying to contemplate, you know, how's this thing going to go about? How's this thing going to be? Where are we going to see this? But all the while, God is dealing with him. And he's seeking after God because he knows there is more to this dream than he is understanding. More to this dream than his brothers understood. More to this dream than his parents understood. There is something about this dream and God is bringing me in. I've got to get the understanding of this dream. And God, because he begins to seek after it, gives him the understanding of what to do in this dream. And the whole thing was to get him to seek after God for a plan for what would happen when his brothers came and bowed down before him until we got to the end and when his brothers and his parents came and bowed down. And God began to reveal to him what would happen here. And the reason I know that is simply this. When the brothers came down, how many brothers came down to get the food? There was a famine in the land. Joseph's dream, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. He said there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. The seven years of famine are going to be so great they're going to eat up seven years of plenty, but this is what you do. You get somebody wise in the land and you start putting away some of the food from the seven years of plenty. And so then when the seven years of famine come, you'll have enough to carry you through. And the Pharaoh said, well, who's wiser than you who can foresee this? Let's put you in charge. And he went from prison to uh, <clears throat> in charge of the kingdom. And so here's this foreigner exacting a tax on the people of the land. How do you think that went over? 
And so he exacted this tax. And then he sold it back to him. By the time he got done, he owned everybody's land and gave it all to Pharaoh. I mean, that's, that's pretty good business practices right there. He was, uh, he was real good for, for Pharaoh in that. But all of a sudden, the famine, of course, reached over to Judah, the land of Judah. And so the brothers are sent out. But he is very protective of the brothers, of the one brother, Benjamin. I'm not going to send him out into this place. So um, he keeps him back. And the ten brothers go, and the ten brothers come before uh, Joseph to get the, the food, and they bow down. Joseph sees and recognizes, ah, it is starting. This is what I saw in the dream. And so he began to ask him a lot of questions. And uh, find out through asking him, they have another brother. He says, well, I'm going to accuse you of being spies until you, uh, until you bring your other brother. You have to go and bring your other brother. So they had to go back. And on their way back, they found that all the money that they paid for the food for was put back into their sacks. Now they're nervous. They're scared. Why did our money get put back into sacks? And so they get on home. And so they say, uh, <clears throat> he kind of singled us out. It's kind of like you going through TSA and all of a sudden they say, you get over there in the corner and you get the special treatment. He gave the special treatment to these, to these 10 and he was checking them out and they said they kept asking us and so we told them that we had another brother. Why did you tell him you had another brother? Well, we can't go back down and get any more food unless we bring Benjamin with us. And so they were so dis- he was so distraught of that he was going to let the family starve and not send Benjamin. But finally the brother said, look, we... We're all going to die up here. We're going to starve. We've got to bring Benjamin down. So they bring Benjamin down. Now you've got 11 brothers come down, but what's missing? Mom and dad. Mom and dad are not there. So now all the brothers are there. They bow down. We've got to get mom and dad here. And so he, uh, he, he, uh, he is very uh, good with them. And then he sends them on their way. And so they're relaxed. Oh, wow, we made it through that. And as they're going, he sends the guards after them. Because he told him, he says, take my special cup and I want you to put it in the saddle, saddle of Benjamin, the youngest son. And so they do that and they said, uh, hey, I've treated you with kindness and here you are, you have stolen from me. We didn't steal anything from you. You know what? So you, you guys gave us the money back from the first time. We brought all that money back. Plus we brought more money back to, to buy that, to buy more food. And they said, whoever's cup you find that, that with, uh, they'll be your prisoner. And so they go through all of them. They did all the other ones first and they came to Benjamin last. And they went through Benjamin's stuff and there it was in Benjamin's thing. And they said, all right, he's got to go back. Well, all the brothers come on back. They didn't just let Benjamin go. You see, they had come together. And when they came together, Reuben stood up. The other brothers stood up. And they said, no, we we can't let this go on. And they said, I will take his place. I will take his place. And said, let him go. If he, if he dies, if he stays here, his father would be dead. I can't have that going. Take me instead. And so they took the one prisoner and they sent the rest back. And they said, you have to come. Oh, he was distraught. But he finally agreed. And so all of them came. And here's the story. The mom and the dad and all the brothers have bowed down to Joseph. It's not about the bowing down. It's about the process in getting there. You see, all the while, Joseph was executing his plan. How many times did we read in the Bible? And if you don't remember this, going back there and read this, you'll see it. 
It's in the chapters that are, are some of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But in the chapters ahead, Joseph is executing this harsh penalty and harsh words upon him. And he has to keep going and excusing himself and he goes away and he weeps. He's sad. Now, if you are uttering harsh words and pronouncing judgment and it makes you sad, doesn't that mean that on the inside of you, you don't want to do it? Joseph does not want to do anything of what he's doing. The moment his brothers came in, he wanted to embrace them and say, I'm your brother, Joseph. It's so good to see you. How's mom and dad? How's Benjamin? Oh, I long to see them again. That's what he wanted to do. But he refrained from it because God gave him a purpose. Joseph, you can't do that. We've got to bring this family together. They've got to know that they have overcome the sins of their past and that they are better men now than they were. This is the plan I need you to do. And he is executing the plan that God gave him, though it is bringing great remorse and great sadness to him. Until finally, mom and dad are there and, there, and he excuses everybody, everybody get out of the room. And he speaks to them finally in their language. He's always been speaking to them in Egyptian and having an interpreter speak to them. But now he speaks to them in their language. He says, I am Joseph. All that emotion he was feeling, he released it. And they loved on him. You see, God had a plan to bring the family together so that no longer they were this unit, this unit, this unit, and this unit. Now they were one unit. No longer did they feel like the sin of what they did to Joseph was hanging over them because they were willing to lay their lives on the line for Benjamin. Even though he was the most loved and even though he got all that favoritism from the father. They said, no. This is what we'll do. He, he brought them together because God had a plan. And God said, Joseph, you're the guy I need to use. That's the purpose of the dreams. That's the purpose of what's going on. You see, if people would just accept what the brothers accepted, if Joseph would have just accepted that, the family would not have been brought together. The purpose that God had would have been lost. Let's go on with our story here. See, when he told them this dream, many times we hear what we're hearing in light of our own needs. We hear what we're hearing in light of our own failures. We hear what we, what we hear in light of our own fears, sometimes our own prejudices. We hear these things in this way. We don't hear it the way that we should. Now, Brother Keith came to me one time a couple weeks ago. How many remember I made a statement about, about and this, this surprised me. I think, I, I don't know if I told you that, but this president surprises me because as, as much as I like some of his policies and expected him to do some things good as a businessman, I never expected him to come against spirit of Antichrist like this one has. Never expected it. And I told you a few weeks ago, he says, every single president in my lifetime has been influenced by the spirit of Antichrist. This is the first one who stood up against it. I don't care if you like Trump or don't like him. I don't care if you think he's crass or, or whatever. I don't, I don't care about it. I'm just looking at the overall picture. Spirit of Antichrist does this. It is all through the Old Testament. In the book of Revelation, it is called a beast. And it's called a beast that has seven heads. And each of those heads materialized, and each of those heads not only came against the children of Israel, each of those heads had one purpose, which was to unify the world. Egypt conquered all the world that they knew. 
Babylon conquered all the world they knew. Assyria made an attempt to conquer all the world. They didn't, they didn't accomplish it. The Medo-Persians conquered all the world that they could get to. Didn't quite get it all. Greece went a little bit further. Rome went a little bit further. Before that, how do you remember in the book of Genesis, the Tower of Babel? Do you remember what, the, what happened in the Tower of Babel? They all came together. They had one language. And what does God do at the Tower of Babel? He gives them all unique languages and they all begin to separate by their languages into nations on the earth. You see, the Spirit of God put man into nations. Antichrist wants to bring them all together. Jesus will eventually bring them all together under his rulership. But Antichrist wants to bring them all together under his to accomplish certain purposes. And each time that you saw those seven heads appear from the book of Revelation, and there is an eighth, and he does say the beast itself is the eighth. Each time that you see those things come out, you'll see the spirit of Antichrist come through there. The spirit of Antichrist, folks, does not care about you. It cares about rulers. It has always affected rulers. Not all rulers could get to a place of, of rulership or desire or, or taking over the world, but it's always been their goal. And in the end, in the book of Revelation, it will be their goal again. How many have ever heard that in the end, they'll be all one nation? That's false. The book of Revelation is not about a one world government. They try to get it. They fail. And the reason you know that is because there are wars in the book of Revelation. You cannot have wars if you have one nation. Spirit of Antichrist is about taking, uh, as, as they call it right now, this is the terminology they're using, a global mentality. Nations without borders is one of those things, one of those aspects. When President Trump came out, I don't know if, I didn't make a, I didn't make a peep about this when it happened, but when he made this, this, state, this statement, make America great again, I may get some of you mad, I want one of those hats. Nothing to do with Trump. Make America great again. The purpose of this president, and this is one of the, one of the ways he's fighting against the spirit of... I don't know that he even knows it. I don't know that he's that spiritual that he even knows it. I'm not trying to say he's a super spiritual person who knows that he's combating. But he's combating it, whether he knows it or not. When he came out with Make America Great Again, his purpose was to make America great, not at the sacrifice of other nations and their greatness, but at the idea that you should do what's going to make your nation great, we're going to do what's going to make our nation great, you should do what you make, makes your nation great, each of us should do what makes our nation great. And that's what you should seek after. And you see that it's completely undoing everything that the globalists have done in all these, mega, all these decades. It is undoing all of it. That is only one aspect of what this president has gone after. I could name other ones for you, but I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. Just... There's no when I throw a little statement like that, it isn't without some thought. There's a, there's a whole lot to it. So whether you like them or not, and you don't have to like them, you can dislike them if you want to, but he is coming against the spirit of Antichrist and he's setting them back quite a bit. So you see, when you hear things, sometimes people hear things that uh, the president does and they get mad. I hear things that he does in light of the spirit of Antichrist. Oh, what? I don't even know if he knows he's fighting it. I have no idea. 
But he, he, this is the first president ever in my life, ever, that has fought it. Not just not given into it, but fought it. I've never seen it. Never expected it. I really didn't see the setback. I'm kind of disappointed because I think it might actually push back the uh, rapture. <laughs> just a little bit disappointed about that. Because I, you know how many times I, I go to bed and pray, dear God, bring the rapture and bring this judgment down upon this. <laughs> you don't know how many times I go to bed thinking that. But that's not the heart of God. And I have to repent and get out of it and, <laughs> and go on. Well, I hope you still love me even though I, I like President Trump and some of the things that he's, that he's doing. Look at verse 12. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. In Shechem. That tells you that, well, let's not get there yet. Hold on. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to them, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Most times we read that, we're thinking, He's sending them to check up and will make sure they're doing the job. How many think that? Except Shechem, if you would have read a few chapters back, chapter 34, Shechem is where the people, the men in that city, were judged by Levi and Simeon. One of the leaders in that city raped Tamar. And they didn't like it. And they didn't like that nothing was being done about it. So they came up with their own plan. They had all the men get circumcised. And while they were in pain, they went through and they killed them all. And then they looted the city. Now, this just happened three chapters back. And the boys who did it are in this group. So, if you as a father have just sent your sons, including the two who just did it, to Shechem, that much, they must be hard up for finding food for the, for the sheep, for the goats. Send them to Shechem. Are you thinking, are they safe? And that's why he sent them. Will you check on them, make sure that the brothers are okay and that the sheep and the livestock is okay? Isn't that the purpose? Isn't that what he said? Go make sure that they're safe. And so, now think about this. How protective was he of Benjamin? And yet he takes Joseph and sends him on his own, by himself, on this journey to Shechem. And he's wandering around Shechem. And he doesn't find them. Now when they saw him afar off, did I, did I skip over some verses? Yeah, I sure did. I left off a whole lot of them. You have to pull them up on the, I didn't copy them into here. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field and the man asked saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. In verse 17, And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. So, <clears throat> now Dothan is further north from Shechem. If you go north from where they are to Shechem, it's about 20, 25 miles. Dothan is just a little bit shorter than that. So he gets here, and they're, they're not there anymore. They moved on. Now, they may have moved on because they didn't feel safe. They may have moved on because there wasn't enough of what they wanted. Whatever it was, they moved on. We're not told all the reasons why, but they moved on over to Dothan. And so Joseph goes on up to Dothan. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to him, to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. 
And we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of his hands, and brought him back to his father. See, he wants to get in good graces with his dad. doesn't love Joseph. But he knows he's, uh, he's kind of out with his dad. And so he wants to, to uh, make amends. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic. That tunic of many colors, we've talked to you about it before, it's not necessarily a tunic, a multicolored tunic. It is more than likely. So just think, there's questionable interpretation how to interpret the Hebrew word that's there. Most translations put it as a tunic of many colors. It is more than likely a long sleeve garment. It might have multiple colors to it, but the big thing is it's, it's long sleeve. People who wear long sleeves are basically white collar. People who wear short sleeves are blue collar. The sons had short sleeves on. He was management. That's what, this, that's what it represented. That's why they were... When he gave him that, he gave him authority. Those long sleeves meant he had authority. So they saw that from afar off. They didn't like it. So, they took him, cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat a meal. These guys are so ruthless, they're planning to kill the guy, throw him into a pit, and they said, ask the get some food. And they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother in our flesh and his brothers listened and the Midianite traders passed by so the brothers pulled Joseph up lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They did that because it was scriptural. <laughs> Over in the book of Levi, uh, Leviticus I believe it is where it is listed as the, the price. And so they, uh, they did that. Incredible. They can sell their brother and their, well, what should we do? That Moses mentioned something about 20 shekels of silver. Let's do that. <clears throat> and they took Joseph to, to Egypt. See, they wanted something. They wanted that love of the Father. They wanted that authority that he had. They wanted something that they did not have. And I put this in your outline. wanted to make sure that you got all of it. When we give in to desire and become jealous or envious of what another has, we also give away a certain degree of power over us relative to how much we want it. Desire foremost what God has and His power will be the greatest over us. Remember the verse, verses Scripture? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. The enemy needs to get your focus off of seeking first God and on to seeking anything else. He doesn't care what else it is. Whatever else you go after, even if it's a good thing, if it supplants God as being the first thing that you seek after, then it has more power than God in your life. Because you will, you will stop at nothing to get that thing. I'll give you an example of this. Remember Saul? King Saul? When God selected him to be king, he's hiding. He doesn't want to be king. He doesn't feel he deserves it. Doesn't doesn't want to be in that place. And so he's hiding. They have to make him king. But after he gets in it for a while, he gets to wanting it so much that he's willing to kill David over it. He's willing to commit murder to keep it. 
Just because you don't want something now doesn't mean that when you get it, you won't begin to love it so much that everything else will go by the wayside. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. David being king, this was not a bad thing. God called him to it. Sometimes we can get into a bad thing. We can uh, A husband or a wife is a good thing, but I can get so desirous to seek after that that it becomes number one and I let everything else go. I'm still seeking after God, but you see something else has taken over the number one spot. And so now it holds the greatest power in my life. It might be a different job. It might be more authority on that job. It might be, it might be children. It, it can be anything. It can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. But if you take that and put it in the number one spot or somehow it just begins to work its way up and puts God at number two, number three, then God is no longer the first authority in your life. Other things will dictate and will change it. We've got to be careful. God has to stay number one. And we have to follow after what he does. But jealousy is this way. Jealousy and envy, can begin, they begin to sneak into your life. And you're looking at something, I just, want, I just want the love of my father. It's not fair that he loves Joseph so much. He ought to love us too. Look at the good things I'm doing. I just want to be loved by my dad. And the enemy comes in and he feeds that. And everything that happens around there, he begins to say, see, your dad doesn't love you. See, you're not getting that. See, it's not there. You need to eliminate Joseph. You eliminate Joseph, that love will come to you. It should be yours. He is wrong. He is missing God by not giving that to you. And you see, jealousy and envy can come in and it can begin just to take over my life and steer me in direction. I still think I'm pursuing God, but I'm pursuing something else. Let's go on here. And then Reuben returned to the pit and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. Tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more. And I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of goats and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph... Is torn to pieces, and Jacob tore his clothes, put a sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. If you go back a few um, a few chapters before this, remember when Jacob wanted the blessing that was going to come to Esau? You remember how he got it? What did they put on his arms? They put goat hair, which meant a goat had to die. When they wanted to cover up the death of Joseph or make, make it look like Joseph died, they had to kill one of the goats that they were protecting for their father. They were given charge of all this livestock. They didn't go out and find some wild animal. They grabbed one of the ones that was their father's. They killed it. Put the blood on the coat and just presented it to him. Sister, sons, yeah. And they let him draw his own conclusions. They didn't give him any conclusions at all. Therefore, they didn't lie to him. See, goats had to die to get this to go. Don't kill any goats. And his sons and all his daughters arose. See that? All his daughters, plural. There's probably more than just one. Arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down to the grave in my... My son in mourning. 
Thus his father wept for him. Now the many knights had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard. When Rachel died, he was eventually comforted and came out of it. When other people in his life died, he, he was sad, but he eventually came out of it. When his father died, he was sad for a while, but he eventually he came out of it. But what the brothers saw with this one, when Joseph died, he never came out of it. It affected him not only many days of sorrow, but everything he did from here on out was affected by the death of Joseph. They realized they had made a great mistake. They had great remorse and they wished that anything they could go back and they could fix this. But they knew they couldn't. They, they had hoped to get the love of their father. But instead they brought him great heartache. And their love for their father began to grow. Then it helped bring them together. And then when Joseph came on the scene, he executed the plan of God and he brought them all the way together so that the twelve were now a band of twelve. In James chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, self-seeking is the opposite of faithfulness. When I am faithful, I am seeking the will of another. When I am self-seeking, I am faithful to myself. I am seeking after my own. Because it's self-seeking here. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, if the devil can get envy, if he can get self-seeking, if he can get you out of the area of faithfulness, get you in the area of jealousy and envy, if he can pull you into these areas, every evil thing will follow it into your life. There'll be confusion. You ever heard people say this? I want to follow the will of God, but I'm so confused. I don't know what the will of God is. I don't know what I should do. And we become, we become confused. You know why? Because somehow there either is self-seeking in me or I think there might be. See, sometimes we pursue something and the devil will tell us you're going after that because you like it. How many of you have ever bought a car that you liked? Anybody ever done that? Did you ever go out and buy a car that you liked? You know what you're setting yourself up for? The devil coming to you and said, you bought that car because you liked it. What a scoundrel. You should buy a car that God likes. A car that you like. And then it'll give you, paint you a picture of what God would want you to have. I want you to have one of those smart cars. I say that because there's none of them in the parking lot. You should be saving energy, preserving the planet. Get yourself a smart car. Look at my out there. I got the big truck, the long bed, the cab. Eats gasoline. Chugs out carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, all day long. You know why I got it? Because I liked it, and it works. You know what kind of car you should buy? God told me this a long time, long, long, long time ago. 
I'm seeking after God. I'm getting into that. You know, God, I want the car you want me to have. You know what God tells me? What do you want? <laughs> well, I want the car that you want me to have. Yeah, what do you want? I mean, when you, if you're going to buy a car for someone that you love, what would you ask them? What do you want? Don't go there and pick it out. I'm going to get a car for my wife. I take her out and say, what do you want? I didn't pick that car out for her. She did. <laughs> I picked a different car out for her. She still wants to go back and get that car, and we will eventually, but she picked that one out. I had no hand in that one. But she's happy with it. As long as she's happy with it, that's fine. That's it. See, God is going to ask you these kind of things. Well, what do you want? You know, there's some people that are so super spiritual, they go into the grocery store, and God, should I buy the chocolate chips or the Oreos? I don't know. What is your will for me? You know what it is? Which one do you like better? Well, actually, I'm partial to Oreos. Well, then buy them. You see, there's a whole lot that God just says, what do you want? What do you want? But the, but the enemy wants to confuse these things. Don't let him confuse you. There are some things that it's not about what you want. And God will lead you and he'll tell you, this is what I need you to do. Joseph is a story of that. Joseph, you want to love on your brothers. I understand that. You want to be reconciled to your brothers. I understand that. But this is what I need you to do. Joseph says, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he took a lot of years to get himself ready. And we saw how much that wore him down, how much that took out of him. He needed every bit of that time to get himself ready to do this. And it was imperative that he get it done. And he did it. I wrote four things down for you. Keep yourself on the right path and out of the jealousy and the envy and the other things. First off, believe what God has said. If God spoke something to you, believe it. Whatever it is God has told you. Steve, this is my plan for you. Do it. Accomplishing that plan, if I want to buy a truck, I can buy a truck. If I want to buy a car, I can buy a car. If you want to go out and buy a Prius, go ahead. I'm not buying none. You want to buy a Prius? Go ahead. I laugh at the people with the Priuses I'm behind. Who has a Prius here? I'm sure somebody does. I'm sorry. <laughs> people think they're doing an environment at hand. And I, I don't know what people are thinking. We serve a big God. God makes big stuff. And your little SUV out there is not deteriorating God's planet. I'm not telling you to go throw your dirt all over the place. Pick up after yourself. God told us to care for this earth. Take care of it. But you can't alter the, the environment. You don't have that power. I don't know who we think we are. These people, they, you don't have that much strength. No matter how many people we are, we are not that good. God knew how many people were going to be born on this earth and he made plans for it to handle it. He is not surprised by the billions of people that are on the earth. He knew they were coming. And he made the planet able to handle it. He also knew gas was coming. He knew the SUVs were coming. He knew the boats and planes. He knew all of them were coming. And he made the earth able to handle all of it. Because we read in the book of Revelation, it doesn't come to the end that these people say it's going to. And they said in 1960, we got 20 years. They said in 1970, we got 20 years. They said in 1980, we got 20 years. They said in 1990, we got 20 years. Then so in 2000, we got 20 years. And I think they started upping it up, 10 years, 12 years. 
We're still here. Miami's not underwater. Manhattan's still afloat. And the, there's plenty of ice up there. So first off, believe what God has said. If God has told you something, believe it. Don't let the enemy come and, and, and mess with that. Secondly, trust Him to lead and fulfill. If God told you something, He is going to lead you to fulfill it. Listen to Him. Third, proclaim His promises. Whatever God has promised you, whatever God has told you, that should be out of your mouth. Proclaim it. Father God, I thank you. You have called me. You have told me. You have led me. You have promised Whatever it is, God, you have done this. And fourth, continue in what you know. Continue in what you know. The devil wants to get you, you're missing something. Go out there and find this. You need to find this. You need continue in what you know. As you continue in what you know, God will keep adding more. But you've got to continue in what you know. Don't let go of what God has already taught you. Hang on to those things. Keep pressing in. But just know, the enemy is out and through jealousy and envy he's going to try and pull you off. Now it's not just jealousy and envy in you. Do you know that the jealousy and envy of other people can have an effect on your life? Have with Joseph. I don't see any jealousy or envy in Joseph at all. But he's affected by the jealousy and envy of the people that are around him. He's affected by it by his brothers. He's affected by it in Potiphar's house. He was even affected by it in the prison. But he did not let it come near him. And God took him and put him in the second higher position in the land and was the way to provide food for God's people. It's a remarkable story. Would you all stand up with me? Let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you for the help that you give us. We know that the enemy wants to pull us into jealousy. He wants to pull us into envy. He wants us to be affected by the jealousy and envy of those around us. Jesus had so many people that were around him. They were affected by jealousy and envy. They resented his authority that he was given. Just as Joseph's brothers resented the authority he was given. My father, Jesus, though he was around jealousy and envy and people trying to get at him, you steered him through. And as he said in his word, no man takes my life, I lay it down. Though jealousy and envy are all around us, the enemy wants us to be afraid of those that are through jealousy and envy after us. I thank you, Father, that you are our protection. You are our help. Just as you preserved Joseph, just as you preserved Jesus, just as you preserve Paul and Peter and John and so many others, you preserve us. We don't need to get in fear of the jealousy and envy that is around us. I don't need to fall into jealousy and envy to combat the jealousy and envy that they have. For where jealousy, envy, self-seeking, all these things, where they exist, confusion in every evil thing. But if I refrain and keep those things out of my life, I am not confused. I will have clear vision. And I will know. I give you the praise and the glory for it. Every head bowed. If you're here today, if you say that, you know, jealousy and envy has affected me, whether it is you personally with jealousy and envy, some, something that you battle, 
or the people that are around you. Would you just raise your hand up? Whether it's you or the people that are around you. Father, you see the hands that are raised up. I thank you that you help them in whatever situation they're in, whether the jealousy and envy is in them or is around them, that your word will rise up, your word that is in them will come to life. They will believe the things that you have said. They will trust in you, that you will lead them, guide them in the right ways. They will proclaim with their mouth what God has said. They will know that their God is their God. The enemy may try and unseat that. Father, you will establish it even stronger. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sister Marguerite. What's that? You are correct. Wow. One right, I even saw him getting it ready here this morning. Over to God. Father God, the story of Jesus and Joseph was certainly a type of Jesus. The story of Jesus, people were jealous of the things he did, the miracles that came about in his, his life. They were jealous of the way that he taught as one having authority. They were jealous of the relationship he had with the Father for he knew the Father. He knew his word better than they did. They wanted those things, but they didn't pursue it the way that they should. And they began to think, just as Joseph's brothers did, if we eliminate the son, the heir will come upon us. The inheritance will be ours. It's not how it worked out for the sons. It's not how it worked out for the religious leaders. Father, as Jesus battled jealousy and envy in the people that were around him, there were also those who just submitted to him, gleaned from him, listened to the words that he taught, received the faith, believe for miracles many were healed set free loosed from bondage the oppressed were made free because of the faith they allowed to build in them the enemy knows that through jealousy and envy either in us or those around us can lead us into a place or we become closed to the things of God. God is no longer our top priority and not the commanding voice in our life. But I thank you. We follow the leading of your Holy Spirit. You will lead us into places. And just as Jesus was untouched on the inside by the jealousy and the envy. They may have affected some things on the outside, 
but untouched on the inside. Joseph was the same. They affected a lot of his living arrangements, his freedom. They never affected him on the inside. Inside, he remained free. Thank you for such wonderful examples in your word. And I thank you for sending Jesus to the cross for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it before supper. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. This is different from the blood. This is his body that was broken, set us free from the curse of the law and from sickness and disease. Let's eat together. In the word, it says that after supper, he took the cup. There was an entire meal in between because there's a separation of the body and the blood. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. This blood is shed for you and our sins are washed away. We are not held to the account of our sins. But we have his righteousness. He took our sins so that we can take his righteousness. As we drink together, let's remember, there's no penance. There's nothing to add to the forgiveness of God. Just receive what he did for us. Glory to God. All right. Now, Sister Marguerite, come on. Well, good morning, everyone. As always, it's such a pleasure to be able to see each and every one of your faces and to just um, get the privilege to just uh, shout out good morning. And to those that are watching by way of Facebook, um, we greet you as well. We thank God for his word. His word is always going to be um, just what we need. And so I thank God that we are in an environment that we can hear the word each and every week. We're so grateful for that. I don't have any um, written praise reports this morning, but I just pray that uh, your week uh, that you've experienced has had some um, points of uh, praise and worship and things that you can say, you know, I thank God for this day. And even if there was nothing uh, specific that occurred, each morning we got up and we were able to uh, see the nice sunshine and experience all that God has for us. So we are truly blessed. I just want to um, remind you to go through your bulletin. There are a lot of things in the bulletin that we want you to be aware of. And um, today is the second church picnic. It's right after the morning service. And uh, many of you might not have been able to attend the first picnic, and we had a great time. Well, today is the second picnic, and um, the pool will be open. Um, so you can feel free to change into picnic clothes uh, before you leave. If you need to stop on your way home or whatever uh, to just find out um, or find the address or whatever, see Keith or Bruce uh, for that. The meats and everything for the uh, picnic will be there. Um, and if you have salads or any sa side dishes, you can bring those if you like. And go in uh, God's blessings and have a great rest of the day and a wonderful week. God bless all of you. <laughs>